welcome everybody to this month's Executive Challenges Town Hall. My name's Chris Reese. I'm the president and founder of Cirrus Business Group, and I've got with me uh, Coach Judy Harris, uh, VP and principal within Cirrus Business Group. Welcome, Judy. Oh, hey, Chris. It's great to be here. What a gorgeous day we have here. It is. This is uh, what we like to call a nice Chamber of Commerce day. There, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> where, where, if you're a golfer, you'd love to be out on the golf course uh, on a day like today. Well, we are continuing our series. We've reached the final part in our series that we've been doing on organizational health talking about the framework that Patrick Lencioni lays out in his book, The Advantage. And he talks about four disciplines that are necessary to create a healthy and effective organization. And over the last several months, we've gone through each of these disciplines, and now we're on to the final one. But before we get to that, I want to just remind our listeners about the first three. We talked about the importance of a cohesive leadership team and what all that entails. And that's the first discipline. The second discipline is creating clarity. And we talked about the six questions that are in the playbook that every organization needs to be able to answer definitively. And then the third discipline was over-communicating clarity. And we had a special guest with us last month that shared how they're doing that in their organization. And there's a reason Lencioni uses the term disciplines. And while there's an order in which you need to approach these, he uses the term discipline because you don't finish one. It, it takes constant diligence and persistence uh, on, on each one. And uh, you don't want to just neglect the others just because, okay, well, now we've got a cohesive leadership team, so we, we're done with that, check that box, move on. Right, right. And it, it's like anything in life. If you don't have the discipline to carry it out day in, day out, over and over, and keep looking at it and refreshing yourself, then it's going to get lost in the shuffle somewhere. So yes, these are disciplines. That's exactly right. And it's very much like what we experience in our personal life, uh, whether it be in regards to our own personal health or habits that we allow to develop over time. Uh, or habits that come back <laughs> because <laughs> those, we've allowed ourselves habits. to fall back into yes. those behaviors. I think we each need to write our own playbook besides the one that the business uses. Yeah, that's a great, great yeah. idea. So let's talk about this fourth discipline. And to me, this really brings it all together. And I don't want to say that this is the most important, but what I will say is in my experience working with organizations over the last 20 years, it's, an, it's a discipline that most organizations do not do well, and it's where a lot of these change initiatives and organizational transformation initiatives fail, mm. and that is in reinforcing clarity. So we talked about the clarity that's created by answering the six questions in the playbook, we talked about over-communicating that clarity throughout the organization and having that dialogue to make sure that everybody from the very top of the organization all the way out to the edges of the organization 
And I would even include down that supply chain so that vendors also understand what your organization is about and buy in to those items in that playbook. And look at the other side too, Chris. What about the customers? What are yes. they looking for? And yes. so they're, if you will, buying into the playbook of what you have to offer because it's clear what you do and do not have. Exactly. And so now we want to talk about how does the organization itself, you've, had, you've, you've written it down, you've gotten commitment and buy-in because you've communicated this, you've had the conversation, you've answered the doubts. So the last piece of this is how do you make sure that the organization as a system is reinforcing the outputs that you've said that you're all about and that you want? Well, let's start with one thing here. Uh, we assume by now everybody in the organization is pretty much clear on what it is. But what about those new people you're bringing on? How do you decide who to hire, who not to hire, and once you've made that decision, how do you get them on that page? How do you teach them all of this stuff? And that's where we talk about that playbook, Chris, right? That's right. The on, first of all, having a values, a very mm -hmm. clear, uh, simple-to-use, values-based hiring process is so important. And this is something that the hiring managers need to be trained on. This isn't just something that you relegate to your HR or your recruiters or uh, whether they're internal or external. You can't just count on them to do this for you. Yes, they need to be brought up to speed. They need to buy in to what you're looking for. But then your internal people that are going to have to work with this person day in and day out – need to also be educated in how to ask the right kinds of questions to figure out, is this person going to be able to fit into what we're building here? And that's not just from a productivity standpoint. More importantly, because you can train those right. sk most skills, you can train if they've got the foundation and they've got some intelligence. It's very, very difficult to change behaviors and attitudes and those kinds of things. Yes, and so that big question becomes, do they fit with our culture? That's right. And there you needs to be a that. vetting, a defined mm -hmm. process to vet those people out. And then once you've got them in the organization, once you've made the decision that, yes, this is a person that we, we want to bring on to our team, and that's the way you need to be thinking about it, it's a privilege to be a part of your team, mm, and mm -hmm. we have chosen this person uh, to give that honor to. How do you then onboard them, and what is your onboarding process? It doesn't need to just be set them down in their desk and teach them how to do their job, which is what 90% of the organizations do out there. You need to have almost an indoctrination process. Well, you do, and a lot of companies have their initial orientation, and I've sat through a bunch of them myself, and I'm sure you have over time, and it's two days' worth of pure boredom, in my opinion. In that orientation, you have to go over the culture, the playbook, how we play, uh, maybe even have some people in there that are not just the orientation leaders, but people living this day in, day out that are on their team saying, this is how we do it in our department. This is how we use this playbook. 
and and really make it real. Uh, you've got to develop their passion for the organization right from the get-go. I, I think it's such a great point, Judy. Mm-hmm. And part of that is is understanding the legacy and the history yeah. of the organization. Something else that I've seen work very well is to assign mentors to these new hires that are people not in their department from other parts of the organization. So they have a mentor they can go to and talk to and ask questions, and that's going to check in with them. Because what we found is that within the first 90 days, if you can get somebody, first of all, you do a good job in your selection process. Mm -hmm. And then you get them started off right within the first 90 days, the, that employee will be at maximum productivity, and they will be uh, a huge champion of the organization, and they will be a highly engaged employee. Exactly. Exactly. So it really is about, you know, we talk about this reinforcement. So it starts from... You know, who are you even going to let in to your team once right. you've made the decision to, to let them on the team? How do you bring them up to speed now of what it means to be a member of this team uh, so that you get their buy-in right then and there? And then that moves us to the, to the next part, which is, which is what? It's... Well, you know, you've got them in and, um, you know, there's this whole management idea of this is ongoing and managing all of this and and reinforcing this clarity day in, day out with not just the new people, but also the people that you've already got on your team and making this real part of the culture is reinforcing the clarity. And uh, we do have a couple of examples, Chris, if you remember from a couple of clients we have have that um, really before we got there had brought in some people that were not necessarily the best fit for the organization. So then you have to worry about how do we manage that situation? And yeah, because if you here, here's the thing that I want to be sure our listeners understand. If you do not execute on this fourth discipline, you can take everything else that you've done except maybe the cohesive leadership team, which will end up breaking down if yes, you don't it will. do this part well. Right. But maybe you've got enough trust that you, you, know, you just enjoy being around these people now because you, maybe you know them a little better. So that benefit may still be there to some extent. But if you do not do this reinforcement part, Everything else you can right. you've done, you could just throw out the window. Because right. what you have told, what you are communicating to the organization, whether you realize it or not, is that all these conversations that we've had, the stuff that we wrote in this playbook, we're not really serious about it. I mean, right. we're serious about it if you're in this group. But we've got this other group over here, and if you're part of that group, yeah. you don't have to worry about it. You, there's a special carve-out for those people. They play by different rules. Well, what right. does that do in the organization? That goes back. It undermines trust. It does. And without that foundation of trust, you're never going to be able to create an effective organization. Yeah. Right. And my first example, Chris, would be one where we came in, and there was a, an employee who had been there for a very, very long time. 
and almost was kept because he'd been there so long, not because of his talent or, you know, skill set anymore. As the company changed, maybe he didn't. And well, I remember that. You and remember his that? Manager, his manager was conflicted because he, he knew what was going on, but he, right. he said, man, I just feel an obligation to be loyal to this person. And I remember yeah. us asking him, okay, so you're going to be loyal to this individual mm-hmm. at, at the expense of being disloyal to everybody else in the organization. Right, and this is, came after they'd written their playbook. So the conflicts were starting because, okay, so this is what we say we're going to do. Uh, oh, but this person over, there, over here and maybe this one over here is exempt. And it was causing a lot of conflict. And, uh, you know, how do you manage that person? And that, that becomes an issue. And we're not going to go into the details here of what they did or didn't do. But that's going to show up, especially in an existing organization. Now you write the playbook and you've got some people that can't or won't or feel exempt from following the playbook. And you allow that. And that yeah. does a lot for, uh, as you say, undermining all of this. And that's where it—that's where this gets very, very real. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels good uh, when when we can help a team or they go through a lot of the exercises themselves, and and you end up creating that cohesive leadership team. It feels good oh, yeah. to create clarity out of what's been kind of a fog and man everybody's now on the same page you know we know what the expectations are and then you've had the conversation you've communicated this out to the organization and employees are full of hope because they're like wow finally maybe there's a change and and people are actually listening to me and and they've they've you know, maybe we didn't go with my suggestion, but they at least heard it. And right. they're willing to help me work through whatever I need to do to get on board with this. And, and this then, is where it's real. And this is the hard work. This mm-hmm. this is the discipline that really is the hard work of leadership. I, I had one of my uh, professors told me at one point, you know, l- leadership and management is a full contact sport. Yeah, And it is, if, if you're not willing to do that, don't even go down the road. Don't put your name in the hat. Because where this, where this um, becomes very real is when you've got somebody that is a high producer that's not willing to get on board with the behaviors yes. and the values of the organization. Or you've got another senior management member that has given lip service to everything and said that they were on board, but they think some of the rules don't apply to them. Right, so they walk out of the meeting going, yeah, right. Yeah, or or they may even be, you know, doing everything, but behind closed doors, mm-hmm. you're aware of behaviors that are inconsistent. Exactly. And you've got people down in their part of the organization coming to you saying, hey, you know, so-and-so, help me understand what's going on there because yeah, why, they're doing why this, this, that, and the other, and, and I thought we all agreed. And that, we've coached this person. We know you've coached this person. He's still doing it. She's still doing it. Why is that person still here? Yes. And you'd better have a good answer or, like our other client did, 
you may want to have managed them out the door. That's right. That's right. All this stuff will be for naught if you if you do not reinforce these behaviors. So in your performance reviews, your performance management, your ongoing coaching, this has to be a part of it. And I will tell you, if there is not a component of the performance reviews, first of all, you need to be doing performance reviews. Absolutely. They and need more to be than once a year. Exactly. Yes. And, and semi-annual is minimum, quarterly is best, and uh, or at least three times a year. And with those performance reviews, you need to have a component of that where you're talking about how this person has been living out the values or the behaviors that the organization stands for. Right. Otherwise, those will just be nice things that are in marketing materials and are up on posters in the foyers uh, or the hallways, and they don't really mean much. But when you make that part of the performance review, and we've got some brilliant examples of that. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons Chick-fil-A has been able to do what they've been able to do, Publix, Jackson Healthcare. You take any organization that you consistently see as most admired company, most admired employers, mm-hmm. and they're doing the things that we're talking about right here. So, yes. the, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest secret to uh, success is that success leaves clues and really there are no secrets (laughs) yes it's executing on the fundamentals and for one of those companies you mentioned chris recently i had the opportunity to actually look at their job posting and i was floored their values from their playbook and more their values are a part of their job posting so basically it says if you are not willing to live by these values and these standards, don't apply. That's right. Wow. And then, and then as you go through that hiring process, they are doing more vetting mm-hmm. on whether or not they believe, based on your actions and responses, that you're going to be able to live and uphold those values right. more than they are. Do you know how to program this widget or have this specific skill or those kinds of right. things. Right. Well, I can teach you all that stuff. That's Are you right. going to fit with our culture? And it's right out there in the job uh, description, in the in their job posting. I went, wow, that's a company I'd like to work for. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so you, you coach these people that are not mm-hmm. performing, and you put very tight parameters on that. And so if they're not going to come up to speed – You've got to manage them out of the organization. Otherwise, you're, you're undermining right. trust. You're telling everybody that we're not really serious about uh, the items in this playbook. Or you're telling or you're communicating that uh, performance from a production standpoint or a financial standpoint is more important than the values and the behaviors that we have said that we stand for. And we do have an example of that, and I think I'll have you describe that, but uh, it comes back to, well, how do you compensate these people? Is it based on their performance? Is it based on their evaluation? Is it because they've been here another year and you give them money? How would you design that compensation plan, Chris? Uh, Absolutely. This This is a huge one, and this is another part of reinforcing that clarity. Are your compensation and bonus structures aligned with the outputs that you're wanting? 
and it's it's incomplete to think of those outputs solely as financial performance, productivity, or quality scores. And uh, the example you were talking about, uh, we had, we discussed <laughs> right before the the podcast. And it was really interesting because this is a client that we've worked with for a while, and they were they were just rocking their productivity scores, but their quality metric had started to slip. And they had launched multiple initiatives to try to bring quality up and just were not having any success. And I, I asked the, the business manager – well, talk to me about your, your bonus structure and tell me how the bonus is calculated. And he said, well, it's based on productivity, production. And I said, okay. I said, is that net production? So any of the stuff that falls out from a quality standpoint? He goes, no, it's gross. And Ouch. the minute he said that, you could see his face. I mean, he just kind of <laughs> turned right ashen then. and he goes... <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. And I said, and so they adjusted the bonus structure and the way it was done. And all of a sudden, guess what? Now they're wow. starting to hit on on all the components of their quality right. scores. And there was give and take on a little bit of, of take or give on the uh, productivity versus the quality. But overall, what's going out the door is a much better unit, if you will. Yes, yes. And they've got other components that are starting to hit on the culture Uh they're trying to create within the organization. And that's really great to see. And so it's not just hitting these metrics, it's how you go about that, how you interact with your coworkers and how you lead if uh, in, in various roles within the organization. So if there's misalignment there, you're going to reinforce things that you don't want. And it's important for our listeners to remember that every organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, whether it's your house, your household, mm-hmm. or whether it's a business, or even a social club that you're a part of, or a group of friends. It's a system. Yes. And that system is producing the outputs it's producing because it's perfectly designed to produce those. And it's reinforcing those outputs. So if you want to change the outputs, you've got to make changes to the system. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and that's what we're really talking about with this. And these these four disciplines are a way that you can make sustainable change within a system, create a highly effective, highly focused organization. Uh, the playbook is not a. Uh, it's not written in stone. It's something that needs to be it's continually dynamic. looked at. Mm-hmm. It is. It is dynamic especially the answers to question five and six. And so it's good to look at those. And something else, we've got a workshop that we're doing uh, with Gwinnett Tech on leading change. Many of these principles that we're talking about right here, you can apply to any kind of change initiative that you're trying to affect within your organization. Take these four disciplines and do this within the organization. Now, we've got a lot more in that workshop than just this that we're <laughs> going to go into. So um, uh, it, it's more yeah. complex than that. But you can take this framework and utilize it. You can use it in any any area of your life. 
And uh, Chris, we talked here about managing the players then within this framework mm -hmm. to make sure we're reinforcing the clarity, especially in those performance appraisals or coaching sessions that you have to have even between those appraisals because the situations do come up. So uh, let's talk for a minute about what we're going to do next time as well. Absolutely. And that's what we, we're going to call, we do call coach to the player. Yes. And this is a very special program with a, a very uh, solid model that works in terms of coaching to your player to get the player or the performance of that player where you need it to be and when it's not a great model for getting them where they need to be or realizing it's never going to happen the barriers to them are too high for them to overcome in our situation and um, we need to manage them out yeah this is this is I'm so excited about what we're going to be talking about next month and uh, going through this next series because this is the source of a tremendous amount of anxiety with managers mm -hmm. is that whole performance coaching performance management piece how do you how do you approach these people how do you make sure you stay out of trouble right from an hr standpoint <laughs> right and the model helps um, with that you know you want to protect yourself and keep your company out of the out of the courtroom uh but at the same time, you didn't bring this person on board uh, to set them up for failure. Right. And most, most managers don't want to see their people fail. They want to see them thrive. And so I'm, I'm really excited about this because we're going to be giving our listeners a framework mm -hmm. on how to do this in a very non-threatening non-confrontational uh, um, way where they're going to be able to affect these people and uh, find out real quick whether this person uh, is somebody that they can, that is willing to be coachable and that can continue to grow into the role or grow beyond, beyond the role, the role yeah. that they're in. Uh, or whether, you know what, the, the, best thing, the most caring thing to do for this individual might be to manage them on to their next opportunity. Yes, go find something you really love to do. Yeah. And I'm excited because being a coach, I realize that there's very little training in this area for our leaders. And coaching and mentoring is, is just um, it's something we need to teach more of because it's it's not well taught, in my opinion, in most of the schools. So we're going to give you a model that really works. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Judy. And we thank our listeners for being with us this month. So join us next month. And we'll be talking about how to coach to the player. Cirrus Business Group has been helping organizations do great things on multiple continents for several years. If you'd like to learn more about how they can help your organization, check out our website at www.cirrusbusinessgroup.com. That's C-I-R-R-U-S businessgroup.com. 